0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get
1: a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom slash socks.
2: Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast. Ben Mycellus here joined by Brett and Jordy Mycellus. What's up, bros? Happy birthday, guys! guys. Happy
0: birthday! It's the very special Midas Touch special. The day we are recording this, Thursday, March 25th, 2021, is our very first birthday of Midas Touch. Guys, what a year it's been, huh?
2: Exactly. We say goo goo gaga because we've turned one year old.
0: (laughs) Are are, are we saying that? I don't know if we're saying that,
2: but literally one year. Isn't that what babies say? I just want to be clear. Am I being politically correct or is that babies babies still saying
3: goo goo gaga or no? I don't know. It feels like a cancelable offense.
0: They're still saying Google gaga, <laughs> but Midas Touch is not saying Google gaga because we matured a lot in this in this year, guys. I remember one year ago to the day was when we registered the Midas Touch domain. So that's when, actually, and I'll give Jordy all the credit for the name. Jordy goes, what about the name Midas Oh, this
3: is the first time uh, we're saying this. Spot. We've always <laughs> given you credit, Jordy. Yeah, no, no always no. We always no. give you credit
0: for the name. And our first slogan was, what was it? It was something silly. that w- It was news with a golden touch and then in parentheses of truth. I don't know why we did the in parentheses of truth. And then we realized, <laughs> oh, yeah, because truth is golden is much more streamlined. And I basically said to the, the fellas here, I said, hey, if I if I commit to making this MidasTouch.com website, website. Will you guys commit to working on this project with us and we'll, we'll see where it takes us. And they said, do it. We're, we're all in. And so I spent all weekend making the website and we released our first article on the website just a few days later. And then that turned into the making the videos that we did. And that turned into the Midas touch that you guys all know. So that's a little brief history. on. on so the next. question
2: becomes Brett and Jordy. It's kind of like with a relationship or with uh-huh. a marriage. Do you start the anniversary from the date you first meet your significant other, or do you start the anniversary from a date that you make it official? Do you start the anniversary from the date you are engaged or do you start the anniversary from the date there is a marriage? This is a vital question that we need to ask the Midas mighty. When is actually a anniversary that happens in a relationship? Because, this could be our unofficial an anniversary or our first anniversary. But then, mid-May, when we first registered as a political action committee, that could actually be our official anniversary. And maybe we could celebrate twice.
0: I think Ooh. we have two birthdays. I like the idea of two birthdays because uh, you know I like to celebrate. And uh, I think we have a lot to celebrate and what we've done, what we've built here over the past year. But, you know, this was the day we registered the domain itself. This was the day we made it official and we were working our asses off before we registered as uh, as a pack. So I would definitely mark today as that day and uh, looking forward to celebrating again on May 15th with everybody. Exactly.
2: Big day of celebration right here. We're all still quarantined at our (laughs) at our homes. And yeah. uh, wait,
0: let's get this straight for everybody. I have not seen Ben and Jordy in over one year since the I haven't start seen of you guys Midas. in two years. I haven't seen Jordy in two years, which is how crazy. I don't think I've is. ever
2: met Jordy my entire <laughs> life. Now that I think about it. <laughs>
0: and it might be it might be true. Ben was out of the house. Ben's eight years older than Jordy. He was out of the house by the time Jordy was like in middle school. It's very possible. You guys have never met. This has been a cool like pen pal experience for y'all, huh?
2: It's really true bad. I'm told that Jordy is my brother but is this <laughs> the is, is this the matrix is this real Jordy we look we, we we
3: kind of look alike are we related I believe we are man I believe we are I, you've never met the adult me I don't think
2: I don't think I've ever <laughs> met you since you've been an adult I think the last time you and I met you were maybe five years old. <laughs>
0: that's and that's why ben kept calling jordan jordy and that's why jordy decided ultimately you know what if if you're going to keep calling me jordy i'm just going to have to run with this name that's my new name now ever i'm jordy i don't
2: think i even talked to you jordy until we started my (laughs) discussion no no very rare (laughs) just joking i've always spoken to jordy i've known jordy my entire life i can confirm that jordy's my brother we would see each other rarely because of we lived in different locations um jordy once lived for a brief period in Los Angeles. So I got to see him a little bit more there, but Jordy is my brother. I want to make that very clear to our parents. But Ben
0: lives in Los Angeles. And so do I like 20 minutes away from me. And I've not seen him in over one year, which shows how seriously we're taking the pandemic.
2: It's how seriously we're taking the pandemic number one, but also the amount of work we are doing and how busy we are fighting Uh, for issues that matter to the Midas mighty and and for democracy. I am incredibly proud to announce a piece of breaking national news that we are involved in, which is Midas touch in our First Amendment lawsuit against Representative Marjorie Taylor Green, the QAnon conspiracy theorist slash fascist from Georgia, who somehow became a Georgia congresswoman. We sued her for blocking Midas touch on Twitter in violation of our First Amendment rights, we reached a landmark First Amendment settlement with Marjorie Taylor Greene, where she's agreed not to block anybody, so long as she remains a representative or a public official on both her official Twitter account and her de facto official Twitter account, where she's blocked everybody. She also paid legal fees in the amount of $10,000, which because Midas Touch did not have to pay legal fees. We are donating $10,000 to two incredible organizations. Brett and Jordy, you want to talk about those organizations?
0: Yeah, we're donating it to Moms Demand Action, half of it to Moms Demand Action and half of it to Fred Gutenberg's Orange Ribbons for Jamie, named after his daughter who was killed in the Parkland Massacre. These are two incredible organizations that are pushing for common sense gun reforms, and we are excited to support them. It's never been more important, given the news in recent weeks, to support these organizations. And we encourage you, if you have the means, to contribute to nonprofits like this or or other like-minded organizations, and let's try to get some sensible gun reform passed.
2: Totally. And uh, as we are recording, uh, President Biden gave a press conference. We're going to go into what he discussed on his incredible press conference, Um, today, which was his first formal news conference since taking office on immigration. What President Biden explained was that what's taking place at the U.S. southern border right now is not unprecedented at all. Um, He explained that the truth of the matter is nothing's really changed. And the amount of increase for this time of year is consistent with the increase that took place in the Trump administration. And in fact, the Trump administration is responsible for truly breaking um, the system in ways that it it was never actually broken before and that we have to rebuild the immigration system. Um, Specifically when it comes to children at the border during the press conference, Biden basically said, look, uh, every administration before President Trump, we as Americans would not see children at the border and literally let them die and that changed under president trump
4: the idea that i'm going to say which i would never do that if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border we're just gonna let him starve to death and stay on the other side no previous administration did dead either except trump i'm not going to do it i'm not going to do it
0: that's a president that's leading with empathy first, which I love. It's just such a refreshing perspective to have from the executive branch that we haven't seen in a, in a really long time, it feels like. Caring about the well-being of migrants coming here, making sure that they're going to be in as good conditions as possible, understanding that the conditions that they're in right now are unacceptable, and working to make change. And one of the breaking reports that came out recently was that the Trump administration was asked to expand capacity during the transition by the incoming Biden administration, and they refused. So you see just every step of the way in every different category. The Trump administration was just stonewalling the transition efforts. I mean, we saw it with Emily Murphy back in the day, but just really screwing everything up you know, causing an incredible issue. And now the GQP has the nerve to go, oh, why isn't this solved yet 50 days later? Well, your guy kind of slowed it down. He screwed everything up. And now, like all Democratic presidents have to do, we're cleaning up the mess. It's always interesting how uh, whenever a Democrat comes into office, the first thing they do, pass a recovery act. Why Why is that? That the first piece of major legislation, every time a Democrat (laughs) comes in, is pass a recovery act.
2: That's so true. And then in response the Republicans, now the GQP, then, you know, to uh, cry the debt that they created. And all of a sudden, they're debt hawks and very focused oh on God. the national. debt.
0: By the way, I tweeted this like a, a few months before, like right after Joe Biden won the election. And I said, you wait until Joe Biden is inaugurated. That will be the second that Fox News and all these stations start saying, what's up with the debt? What's up with the deficit? And like clockwork, once again, that's been like their headline. They just have it out on the Chirons on Fox News now. Record debt, record deficit. These people are so malicious in their intent. It just, it's fake news. It's, it's total fake news. One of the things that Joe Biden has done, which was an interesting move, is he put Kamala Harris in charge of the border issue, or as Brian Caram called it, the Jordan because he uh, misread, totally. Jordy's, misread Jordy's name while he was talking about the border. So we're going to call the border the Jordan. The Jordan. And um, Where so- we are? Yeah, Yeah, I just decided.
2: Definitely. We're going to always call the border the Jordan now. Okay,
0: When it comes to the Jordan, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is leading efforts to coordinate with Mexico and the Northern Triangulations. Biden said, I could think of nobody who is better qualified to do this than Harris. When she speaks, she speaks for me. She doesn't have to check for me. So this is Kamala Harris's first major policy role since she was sworn in. I'm excited to see how she does with this issue. It is no small task to undo the entanglements, not only of the Trump administration, but over the past 40 plus years. But Harris is going to work to strengthen diplomatic ties with Mexico, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala. She's going to try to address the root causes of the region's migrant problems. And by acknowledging the surge we're dealing with now started with the last administration, but it's our responsibility to deal with it humanely and to stop what's happening the increase has been consequential joe biden saying the buck stops with me we know things have been messed up with the past but we are working to take care of it i love that could you
3: ever imagine are you guys gonna let me talk today are you guys gonna let me
0: talk (laughs) we'll see how it goes uh
3: could you imagine trump could you could you imagine trump going up there and saying anything you know quasi similar to what Biden had said? You know, no, I, it's it's my responsibility now. I will take care of it. it, it it's a sense of leadership that, that we just haven't seen in so long. And finally, it's so refreshing. He's literally the guy who said, I don't take responsibility at all.
0: And the very first thing that he started his campaign on was by saying that Mexicans were rapists and murderers. I mean, this is the, that's the tone he set. And so, no, I could not imagine it because he was a disgusting person, um, not even worthy of being mentioned. And now we have a leader that leads with empathy and it's a nice, refreshing change and it's what a president of the United States should do. There are unaccompanied children coming towards the border. Joe Biden wants to deal with this humanely. At the end of the day, what he does not want to do is send kids back to where they come from all alone to die, to get killed without family. They want to make sure that their families are intact before they make any decisions so that they're not doing this horrific policy of separating families like the Trump administration was doing with Stephen Miller right alongside.
2: Totally. Jordy, switching beats for a second to uh, what the Biden administration uh discussed with respect to uh, the covid 19 vaccine plan what do you think about that Jordy?
3: the jorder oh you Jordy Jordy are, are you guys talking to me
2: we're totally we're totally talking to you oh shit on. that we now this see. stays in the pod now let <laughs> this be a teaching moment for let this <laughs> be a teaching moment for everybody, <laughs> oh, comes comes switch, moment for everybody right here <laughs> that pause is vital just so everybody knows so Jordy gave us some crap before you were listening to it um, for not letting him speak. And so as a big brother, you know, as someone who loves him, I try to really adapt and, and hear him out. So I'm like, look, I, I have to do better here. And I passed it over to Jordy on a fairly basic issue. And I don't know if Jordy was playing a video game. If he no, was Googling my, my Jordan, you guys or, cut or, out. You guys, whatever it I'm is, I'm in
3: Pennsylvania. You guys are in LA. The, the connection's not they, perfect. They, you they, cut they, out. I didn't they, know. They know, know you no internet.
2: No internet in Pennsylvania. So, so, so Jordy's dog ate his homework. He doesn't <laughs> have vaccines? internet. And and the one moment that we called on Jordy to, to to step up, Jordy Jordy was not there. It's okay, Jordy. That that's why. On these other things I, i'm not trying to not let you talk because I, I think you make some great points i just know super mario brothers is really important You're to you during jerk. the pod during jerk. the podcast you that guys, i know cut uh, out. Is, i
3: didn't hear you i didn't hear you <laughs> toss it to me We're We're talking right, here about here vaccines right. from tonight. Right. bring us bring us up to speed on the vaccine yeah, bring us up to speed jordy okay awesome update on the vaccines guys biden formally said that his administration has set a new goal to get 200 million coronavirus doses into arms by his 100th day in office. Fuck you, Chuck Todd. And why I say that is because Chuck (laughs) Todd came after Biden when Biden first said he would do 100 million shots in arms. And Todd said, if Biden doesn't do that, his whole presidency is a failure. I mean, what are just lunacy? It's not about Todd. It's about Biden. Biden upping the goal now times two, 200 million shots in arms. I mean, let's go, That's the type of aggressive leadership that I could get
4: behind. Brett, I think we have a clip of that, yeah? On December 8th, I indicated that I hope to get 100 million shots in people's arms in my first 100 days. We met that goal last week by day 58, 42 days ahead of schedule. Now today I'm setting a second goal, and that is we will, by my 100th day in office, have administered 200 million shots people's arms our state
0: california just opened up our vaccines to all people's yeah i am my state jordy california where we have internet and no mario brothers Um, we, we got vaccines though, and vaccines are coming our way on April 15th for everybody. So I'm super excited to get mine.
2: Brett loves
0: the vaccine. I love the vaccine. I know so many people who got the vaccine. (laughs) The funny, the funny thing is when I get the vaccine, my life will not significantly change because I don't really like to do a lot of activities outside the house (laughs) Way, but I'm still really excited to have that peace of mind, get the vaccine, call it a day. I really want to Our ongoing
2: joke for those just kind of tuning into the Midas Touch podcast is, when the first kind of vaccine was rolled out under the Trump administration, Brett was like, It's brought a tear to my eyes that the vaccine that we that finally aged, have I think it aged we, well.
0: I think my we have a vaccine aged well.
2: You think it has aged well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody is has a little bit of a, it's getting dusty in a lot of people's homes right now. They got a little and, tear my, in and
2: my view of it was is that the United States of America was so far behind on the vaccine, trust me, I think that it is incredible that there are vaccines. It is a miracle that vaccines have been created over the past hundred years, but we are leaders as America in this field and Donald Trump never actually led. And so when all of a sudden a vaccine emerged, despite the fact that it was not even through the donald trump you know program it was through uh, the, a, a separate private program that you know and it was so mishandled by the trump administration that like we took for granted that america america leads things america we go to mars america we're the first to go to the moon america we're number 1 in a lot of things that's what america first is and trump's policies were always america weak america last oh my gosh, science is, how did science happen? We have the best scientists in the world. And, you know, we have a great education system too, that the Republicans want to, you know, want to dismantle and want to make more dangerous. Jordy, tell us about the reopening of schools around the country.
3: One sec, you know what this argument constantly reminds me of is uh, the NBC news and just like, any, any news, any like nightly news show, when they pitch these stories that like under like a heartwarming umbrella. Like, for example, there was a story the other week about a grandmother who had walked six miles or, or nine miles to get the COVID vaccine. And they're like, isn't this just amazing? And no, no, it's not amazing. It's really sad if you think about it. And just because you're trying to spin it, like it's this happy story. If you actually look at it from like a macro view, it's, it's really awful. It shows the horrific
0: nature of our healthcare system that an elderly woman needed to walk six miles so that she could go to the doctor and get, because she didn't want to spend $6,000 or more for an ambulance ride. Oh, so sweet.
2: So sweet. Oh,
0: that's what the news celebrates. We got a lot to clean up. But let's talk about school reopenings, guys. I mean, Biden cited a report this week from the Department of Education that shows nearly half of K-8 schools are open. This is a step towards getting the majority of the schools fully open in the first 100 days, which is what Biden proposed when he became president. We saw instantly the first week of Biden's presidency, the GQP going, why aren't all the schools open? Open them now. First off, I don't need to listen to the people who ignored COVID for a year, who wanted to open schools a year ago, who-
2: Pro-COVID.
0: Pro-COVID, who wanted to open churches, all churches on Easter. Every single step of the way that this party has made, they have been wrong they have led to mass death and suffering. And their opinion to me, does not even matter slightly. I don't need to hear their school reopening plan. We're gonna follow the science. We're gonna see what happens and we're gonna do it when it's safe to do it. And Biden right now is on time ahead of schedule. But the most bizarre thing guys of this entire press conference was even though Biden was talking about the vaccine rollout even though we've been through hell over this past year with the coronavirus and are right now on one of the greatest paths of recovery of a virus that we've seen maybe ever. There was not one single question from the press, not one about the virus, about the vaccine, about nothing. COVID is the one thing shaping everybody's lives. How do you not ask a question about COVID?
2: Oh, it's it's so true. And it just speaks to...
0: The media, man, is so broken.
2: I mean, I know... So broken. They want to move on to some, some new media generated crisis and not actually deal with the crisis that truly exists right now. Um, and you look, it's like on clockwork, the Democrats come in, they pass the recovery act on clockwork. The Republicans start talking about the debt, right? On clockwork, you start getting weird scandals because the Democrats are actually making government work. Now look like with your iPhone. Like your iPhone works and occasionally there may be errors, there may be problems that may shut off. You may need to recharge it. But I prefer an iPhone that works like Donald Trump was an MP3 player <laughs> phone from 2002 that that just legitimately didn't work. I couldn't even turn on and crushed. I couldn't <laughs> even turn. You couldn't even turn it on. You know what 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 it is. And then so the Republicans start, you know, making up these bizarre scandals. I mean, with Obama, it was, you know, the tan suit that he was wearing. I mean, that was a whole that was a whole story there, you know, and with Biden, you have, you know, again, a whole panoply of made up stories and Dr. Seuss type stories. It's just all of the you know, all of the bullshit you basically get. But Biden's Biden's eyes are focused on the bigger picture here. Infrastructure and the infrastructure bill, we talked about that on the last podcast, the multi-trillion dollar bill that the Democrats are thinking about passing in two parts to bring our American infrastructure really into the 21st century. I mean, just look, you saw in Texas, which claims to be the energy state that claims to be the oil state, they didn't even have anti-freeze on its uh, energy facilities because they're so ill prepared and there's like zero regulation and the zero modernization. So the infrastructure bill is on its way. Interestingly, for the infrastructure bill, if the Democrats intend to pass it through budget reconciliation, they will not need the kind of 60 plus senators. They can do it with a basic um, majority. But for other important pieces of legislation that Democrats you know, would like to get passed, whether it's the um, Equality Act, whether it's gun reform, Um, you know, and other kind of important initiatives, Voting Rights Acts to prevent voter suppression. You know, you're going to require 60 votes. Unfortunately, those can't be passed through reconciliation. And Biden at the press conference today spoke about filibuster reform, if we could play that clip.
4: With regard to the filibuster, I believe we should go back to a position of the filibuster that existed just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years ago. Um, And that is that It used to be required for the filibuster, and I I had a card on this. I was going to give you the statistics, but you probably know them, uh, that it used to be that from between 1917 and 1971, the filibuster existed. There were a total of 58 motions to break a filibuster that whole time. Last year alone, there were five times that many. So it's being abused in a gigantic way. And for example, it used to be you had to stand there and talk and talk and talk and talk until you collapsed. And guess what? People got tired of talking and tired of collapsing. Filibusters broke down and we were able to break the filibuster, get a quorum and vote. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. And if we have to, if there's complete lockdown and chaos as a consequence of the filibuster, then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking about.
2: Well, look, I think that filibuster reform is is vital. I mean, look, at least with the speaking filibuster, you should have to, we've talked about this before in the context of the stupid Dr. Seuss debate. If you generally are aggrieved as a GQP member about Dr. Seuss as a private company, not wanting to print certain publications that were racist, you should have to stand in the public and you should show the racist photos and actually be exposed to the public and talk through what the true issues are. With a speaking filibuster, we will know where the senators stand. If they want to stand up there and start reading novels on the floor for 24 hours or 48 hours as we're trying to pass the gun reform legislation, You should be committed to do that at the end of the day if your goal is to hold up through a filibuster legislation that the majority of Americans want passed. And on all of these issues, on gun reform, on raising the minimum wage, health care, the Voting Rights Act, these are issues that overwhelming majority of Americans support. Here's how you know that it was a
0: successful press conference for Biden. The takeaways from everybody at the end were, why didn't the press ask any questions about COVID? Number two, Kaylee McEnany saying, trying to take credit for President Biden's vaccine rollout because they're so jealous of the success that Biden has had when the Trump administration completely failed to get vaccines out there. Number three, you had people like Ari Fleischer out there. Their biggest complaint was why does Biden keep referencing note cards for information? (laughs) Why does he keep looking at note cards when he wants to bring up data? Yeah, because he's a measured guy. He doesn't just shoot from the hip and say bullshit. If he's telling you something, he wants to tell you facts. It's a nice, refreshing thing to have a- From
2: hydroxychloroquine, right? As we inject
0: ourselves with a bleach. uh, uh. Imagine how many more people would be alive right now if instead of saying that, the former guy looked down and said, oh yeah, to solve this problem, we're going to need vaccines to be delivered to people. You know, don't try any sort of at-home remedies. Don't try any whatever. But instead, he's just mouthing off because he's a fucking idiot. And that's why that Biden is a nice, refreshing change of pace here. The other thing was anytime Biden made a joke, conservatives were like, oh, look at it. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Like Biden made a joke in the beginning of that clip saying that when he was in the Senate 120 years ago, the filibuster, you had to stand. It's a
2: funny joke. Self-deprecating, Self-deprecating joke that he's deprecating
0: joke old. about his age. And Republicans are like, 120 years ago, senile biden it's like all right if that's if these are going to be your complaints you're tearing apart your jokes listen you've already lost you've already lost the battle
2: there's no doubt about it when we come back though from this short break i am super excited to have our guest today it's glenn kershner glenn is a or, uh, used to be a federal prosecutor for 30 years He is now the co-founder of the Democracy Pledge, which is a way for companies to show they're on the right side of history by affirming there that the democratic institutions are legitimate. I am excited to talk to Glenn Kirshner, who is a professor at GW where I went to undergrad. He's actually teaching courses that I took. Um, Or I believe I took at GW. It was college years. I don't fully remember. I think I took criminal justice. Um, I don't fully know. I know I took. I know what I took in law school, but I assume I took criminal justice as a as a poli sci major. So I'm excited to talk to that. I'm excited to talk to him about the democracy pledge and where he thinks Donald Trump is going to get indicted. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast here with the one and only Glenn Kirschner, former 30-year federal prosecutor, NBC News, MSNBC analyst, an adjunct professor at George Washington Law School, a school that I went to undergrad. Glenn, don't hold it against me. I went to the competitor Georgetown Law School. But big shout-out to <laughs> GW, and now leading as a co-founder, the Democracy Pledge. Welcome to the Minus Touch podcast, Glenn Kirshner.
1: Hey, great to be with you guys.
2: So uh, at GW, are they still going with um, like the hippo as their informal mascot out there. When I was there, <laughs> they really tried to push the hippo on us and it wasn't really working. Have they given that up or are they still trying to push the hippo?
1: It's a good question. I haven't seen the hippo around lately, so they may have abandoned it.
2: <laughs> it was always a weird idea. And the old uh, head of the school had this infatuation with hippos and they kept on building hippo statutes. And so how do you like that? You teach there. What class do you teach out there?
1: So I teach criminal justice, arrest through appeal. I taught for years as adjunct faculty at GW Law, and then I took a break. And when I left the federal government, I decided I really wanted to get back into teaching. So, uh, but I really wanted to to teach undergrad, undergrad criminal justice because you know what, there are plenty of lawyers. I didn't want to be in the process of producing more lawyers. So I really enjoy you know getting my hands on the undergrad minds while they're still debating whether they want to go to law school or they want to do something else. And I can give them, you know, the bird's eye view of the criminal justice system from the inside where I worked for 30 years. So, you know, I, I, we meet twice a week. I have 50 criminal justice students every semester and it is my rest. I I so look forward to my Tuesdays and Thursdays with my students.
2: Yeah. I once taught a class recently um, at university of Irvine school of law. And there was nothing like it. I mean, just the energy of students being able to have that level of engagement and just talking about the law outside of the weeds. But I want to get into the weeds a little bit. And if you could talk about just your background as a federal prosecutor um, before getting into the Democracy Pledge.
1: Sure. So I started in the 80s as an Army JAG. So I was an Army prosecutor for about six, six and a half years. I spent three years prosecuting court-martial cases, and then another three, three and a half years as an appellate court prosecutor. Basically, when a soldier would get convicted at court-martial, would appeal their conviction, I would then handle the appeal for the Army. So after that, I decided to leave the Army because you get promoted out of the courtroom at about the six-year mark. I knew I was nowhere near ready to leave the courtroom. I transitioned over to the Department of Justice in 1994, Specifically, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia. And I spent nearly a quarter of a century there. My first U.S. Attorney was Eric Holder. He gave me a shot at being a federal prosecutor. And then my chief of it was Bob Mueller. That's where I really learned how to be a federal homicide prosecutor. And Bob really taught me how to run the homicide section because I went on to become homicide in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, responsible for overseeing all murder prosecutions and 30 federal prosecutors.
2: We, of course, saw Bob Mueller during the Mueller investigations. What was it like from the inside working with him?
1: He's a great man. He is he's fierce. He's a by the book guy. Some might say a little bit too by the book for their tastes because, you know, you could see the report that he issued. I think it frustrated some people because it didn't go as far as some people would have liked. But what I can tell you is Bob Mueller applied the rules, applied the law, applied the Department of Justice policy that says you can't accuse somebody of a crime if you're not actually charging them with that crime. And he followed all of the rules. And as a result, Bob opted not to go to the ultimate conclusion and announced that Trump was guilty, that Trump committed those crimes. He thought, I am projecting here, knowing Bob, learning from Bob, he thought I am gonna turn this over to Congress and Congress is going to get this right. The man's going to be impeached and removed. And of course, we were let down.
2: You think that Bob could have been more aggressive, though, in that investigation in terms of, you know, really pressing Trump to give under oath statements and, you know, maybe forcing some of that inner circle to actually testify and respond? Because we didn't really see that, which as a lawyer kind of surprised me. I definitely get he went by the book, but also to some extent, As a prosecutor, you are also creating the framework of applying the book. And he didn't he didn't subpoena, you know, Trump. And what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So looking back, because I don't think we got the result that the country needed, which which was to dislodge an obviously criminal president. It's easy for us to say he should have been more aggressive. But when you read volume two, if you'll notice, there is a strategic redaction of the sentence that I have no doubt says Donald Trump's lawyers said he would invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Therefore, I did not subpoena him. Why? Because we could have gone all the way up through the Supreme Court and fought the subpoena battle. Guess what? Then all Trump's lawyers had to do is say he invokes the Fifth and it's all for naught because your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, Trump's, no pun intended, a subpoena. So I believe when we see the unredacted Mueller report, you're going to see two redactions that are lifted. One that said Donald spoke this amendment right against self-incrimination. And the second says Don Jr. would have invoked his right against self-incrimination. Which we can't defeat unless we're gonna grant immunity.
2: When do we see that? When do we get to when do we get to see those redactions? Now, I think for our viewers, what they and listeners, what they should know is that in a criminal case, if you invoke the fifth, it's not something that you can point to in a criminal trial, right? You can't go, he invoked the fifth. Come on, exactly. that's guilty. You can't do it. But from a public perception perspective, it's always hard to separate those two, and it would be helpful, I think, as a public, that we did know that he th- that his lawyer stated he was going to invoke the fifth and the implications of that. So, when do you think that we get that redaction removed so the world can see that? You know, if if, if you're right, and I'm hoping I'm hoping you're right, but I'm hoping we see that soon.
1: So Merrick Garland has probably got his hands full, but I am sure one of his first tasks has been to review the unredacted Mueller report, and I am hopeful that he will decide, in the public interest, I need to um, reveal more than Bill Barr revealed. Of course, Bill Barr not only hid important portions of it from the American people, he lied about it, according to federal court judge Reggie Walton, who said Bill Barr mischaracterized the Mueller report, spun the Mueller report, end quote, Bill Barr lacks candor. I, I've handled cases in front of Dr. Judge Reggie Walton. He don't play. And I take his findings very seriously with respect to how Bill Barr you know, handled the Mueller report.
2: You know, Midas Touch, we found it incredibly effective after the election. Where we put pressure on private companies. One of the groups that we put pressure on was Jones Day. You know, we did the video, Shame on Jones Day, and a lot of large law firms said, All right, we're not going to be, you know, representing Donald Trump. We also put pressure on Bed Bath and Beyond, for example, for carrying the My Pillows and supporting someone who was engaged in sedition. I think that putting the pressure on corporations where an entire party, in this case, the GQP, has kind of ceded any desire to have a democracy. Focusing on corporations is important. And I think that's one of the foundations to what the Democracy Pledge wants to do and and wants to achieve. Can you describe the kind of genesis of the Democracy Pledge and what its goals and objectives are?
1: Sure. So when I left federal service after a little over 30 years, uh, I left in June of 2018. I was looking for ways to continue to serve in whatever capacity I could. And we kind of created a group of of folks who care deeply about justice, who care deeply about corruption in government, and in short, care deeply about uh, democracy. We call ourselves Team Justice. And we went about trying to come up with some grassroots projects that help citizens get involved because we all feel so dang helpless When our politicians don't seem to be doing the job for us, you know, gone are the days that we can just vote for the best candidate, send them to Washington and think everything's going to be all right. Well, everything's not going to be all right. So it really is up to us. So one of the projects we came up with is the Democracy Project. We've got others. We've got a letter to all 50 state attorneys general because there is liability on Donald Trump's part and Jared Kushner's part and Mike Pence's part. As a 22-year homicide prosecutor, I see the homicide liability in the way they handled the pandemic. So that's another project we have. We have the um, we have the Citizens Brigade of Court Watchers that we're going to get in and try to keep tabs on the Mitch McConnell not qualified judges that were crammed down America's throats. But right now, we've got the Democracy Pledge, which we just launched. And it's a website. Anybody can go see it. It is the deep pledge dot com D for democracy wwthedpledge.com on Twitter it's at the deep pledge and it is designed to give companies the opportunity to affirm that they stand with democracy that they don't support politicians who fought so hard to destroy to undermine American democracy and when those companies companies, businesses, and corporations. We haven't even approached any yet. And we have almost a hundred that came to us and have already taken the democracy pledge. When they do it, we have their name, we have their logo. And if you click on the logo, you get a link right to their website. This makes perfect consumer sense for them. And it makes perfect sense for the citizens who go there to see, okay, if I'm going to spend my money on sneakers or ice cream, I want to get my sneakers and ice cream from a company that cares about the health of American democracy. So we're trying to just put up on the website all of the companies, corporations, and businesses that have taken the democracy pledge. And it's not our way or the highway. If you don't like our four sentences that we have crafted to say that you, your company, your business will support democracy, give us an alternate statement. Okay, this is about empowering consumers.
0: Who right now is the biggest company that signed the democracy pledge?
1: I would have to, you know, I was on a a conference call last night and I haven't looked in the last few days. So we haven't even approached any big companies formally. I've been talking to some informally because lots of the folks that I used to work with at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office and the Department of Justice are now titans of industry kind of like the opposite of the path I chose when I left federal (laughs) government. And so we're doing a lot of informal outreach before we make the more formal ask. I would have to look at the nearly 100 companies that have approached us and signed up to even tell you who the biggest one is. But here's the thing. This is grassroots. Give me landscaping businesses. Give me poodle parlors. Give me whatever in every city and in every small town in America. And if you've got two landscaping joints in your town, One that pledges in favor of democracy and the other that's throwing money at Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. Well, who do you want to hire to cut your lawn? Yes, we want United Airlines. We want Coke. We want Home Depot. We want Hewlett Packard. But we want everybody else where, you know, those consumer dollars matter. And, you know, voters' voices are loud, but the corporate America, we all know consumers' voices are louder. So we're just looking to give the consumers voice here.
0: And it seems like such a basic concept to me that, you know, if you're an American company, you should support democracy. Like at at its bare minimum, you should support democracy. And we all saw what happened on January 6th during the insurrection. Do you think we'll ever see true legal accountability for those involved in January 6th? Do you think there will be sedition charges? Do you think the Hollies, the Giuliani's, the Don Junior's, the Mo Brooks, will they ever see any sort of legal accountability?
1: I am the eternal optimist bordering on naive and even Pollyanna at times. for 30 years as a prosecutor, it was my job to assess evidence and then make completely apolitical charging decisions. When you look at the statute, there are five ways you can violate the sedition laws. One of the five ways, for example, is if you take by force property of the federal government to which you have no right, including entering the Capitol and occupying it. The seditious conspiracy charge, I believe based on the evidence is strong, and it's strong against Donald Trump, Don Jr., Rudy Giuliani, Mo Brooks, as you just mentioned, because of the way they incited the attack on the Capitol. If we let the facts and the evidence be our guide, rather than the politics, rather than the fear of losing in court, rather than the timidity from which so many of our public officials suffer from time to time, then there will be charges brought. And I predict there'll be successful charges because all of the evidence is there. But the same could be said of the New York charges that Cy Vance is investigating. The same could be said of the uh, charges in Georgia that the Fulton County DA is investigating. For gosh sakes, the entire crime was caught on a recorded phone call where Trump is asking that somebody give him one more vote than he, that he needs to be declared the winner in Georgia. The crime is everywhere. And unfortunately, what I've been most disappointed by over the last four years, because all of my friends and former colleagues are still at the Department of Justice. They're still at the U.S. Attorney's Office investigating the insurrection. I've been so disappointed that the law enforcement community and the intelligence community has let Donald Trump, his family members, and many of his corrupt cabinet officials get away with everything for four years. That really is the true failing, I think, federal government.
2: And it's the example it sets, right? Like my, my law partner is a criminal defense lawyer. And he says they would charge my clients with one scintilla of the evidence that they have against Donald Trump. And so it just makes the legal system systemically look completely broken. And when you have these things so obviously recorded on tape, so obvious and there is no accountability, it just generally makes it clear that this criminal justice system is indeed able to shield anyone who can potentially hold the executive office, that there are just different rules that apply. And that's a throwback to to royalty, to kings and queens, everything that we stood against as a democracy, that nobody is is above the law. And I certainly hope there will be accountability. I know you're the internal optimist, but using that internal optimism and molding it with some realism, when would you expect the first, do you expect charges to be brought? And in which jurisdiction and investigation right now do you think would be first against Donald Trump?
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of a push as to who will drop the first indictment on Donald Trump's head. Cy Vance has had his case for a long time, and given that he took not one, but two trips to the Supreme Court to finally get Donald Trump's tax returns and financial records, Cy Vance, the Manhattan District Attorney, has also hired an expert mob and white-collar crime prosecutor, Mark Pomerantz, former chief of the criminal division at the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office. He spent a forensic accounting firm to make the case against Donald Trump, and now he's going after Alan Weisselberg's family in an obvious attempt to flip Weisselberg against Trump, Weisselberg being the longtime chief financial officer and accountant for Trump. Every single sign is that Cy Vance's shop is ready to drop an indictment on Donald Trump. Let's hope it happens sooner rather than later. But I think neck and neck with that investigation is the Fulton County DA. Why? because whereas Cy Vance's financial investigation takes a long time and a lot of material to put together, we've got it all on the phone call where Donald Trump is trying to steal an election. And by saying, find one the back of a truck and give it to me like the mobster he pretends to be. So that case is ready made. So that may actually be the first one out of the chute. And then the somewhat dark horse with respect to the timing, those are the federal charges. And there are so many. We could spend an hour cataloging (laughs) every crime I saw Donald Trump commit over the past four years. But in Merrick Garland, let me say, and I don't think this is me being Pollyanna, we have somebody who is perfectly positioned to handle an an investigation into Donald Trump. I say that because Merrick started out as a prosecutor in my former office, the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, and he cut his public corruption teeth as a prosecutor on the Marion Barry from Washington DC crack cocaine case. Merrick Garland prosecuted that, and that was no easy task given the atmospherics of the the time and given the case, frankly, because that was an um, ugly case in many ways. Then he cut his domestic terrorism teeth as a prosecutor on the Oklahoma City bombing case. And I have never been more impressed with a statement from a prosecutor than I was when he took over that investigation and supervised that prosecution. He said, we will bring to justice, everybody responsible for bombing the federal building in Oklahoma City, but we will do it in a way that honors the Constitution, As an old career prosecutor, that's the thing that gives me patriotic goosebumps because he's going to go hard, but he's going to go fair and he's going to honor the the constitution. Um, And then of course he did the Unabomber case. He supervised it. He did the Atlanta Olympics bombing case. He supervised it. The man is really the perfect marriage between a public corruption prosecutor and a domestic terrorism prosecutor. And what we have in the attack on the Capitol It is the unholy union of public corruption and Donald Trump inspiring it and a whole bunch of seditionists, domestic terrorism, the terrorists attacking the Capitol. Merrick Garland is the right man for the moment. And I think the Republicans will rue the day they deprived him unconstitutionally of his advice and consent hearing to be a Supreme Court justice, because I think there's going to be hell to pay now.
3: Switching gears slightly. Uh, we've been told from some veterans who who follow Midas Touch that at these military bases, Fox News is set as the default channel at the gyms. So, one, is, is that true? And if so, what role do you think that plays as far as conditioning our troops to think that Democrats don't like the military?
1: Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the Brooklyn DA. I often saw conservative news on the TVs at the Brooklyn VA, where my dad spent a lot of time before he passed away. I don't know if it's true if a whole bunch of veterans, though, are reporting that, listen, I go to the VA and I see Fox News, that I'm going to take it as true. I can't imagine it's policy. There ought to be a policy, frankly, that there be, you know, apolitical programming presented. And, you know, if they want to say, look, if you don't want CNN and MSNBC, you don't want Fox, maybe you put PBS, or maybe you put some other channel on, because I think the perception of being fair, or being apolitical is an important perception that the government should, should put out there. I have a feeling, though, yeah, at the VA, you're probably seeing a lot of Fox News on the TVs in the waiting rooms.
0: Glenn Kirshner, thank you so much for joining the Midas Touch podcast. You can listen to Glenn on his podcast, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner, and subscribe to his YouTube channel and check out the Democracy Pledge at the d Pledge. Dot com. Glenn, anywhere else that our listeners could find you?
1: No, if you want to become a formal member of Team Justice and support our all volunteer efforts, you can come on over to patreon.com, sign up to become a patron, and be part of Team Justice. We do Zoom chats, we work projects together.
0: I love it. Glenn Kirshner, thank you so much for joining the Midas Touch podcast. We'll be right back after this. No, that's not a man.
2: Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. It was great having Glenn as a guest. In other news, it seems like it's weekly news um, right now. Another horrible uh, mass shooting, this time in Colorado um, at a supermarket in Boulder. Um, Colorado is a state where open carry is legal. Um, It suffered through some of the most deadly mass shootings in American history, including the 1999 columbine shooting the aurora theater attack in 2012 the kind of irony here and uh it's horrible is that on march 12th right like two weeks ago a colorado judge had actually blocked boulder from enforcing its assault rifle ban after the nra sued and then less than 10 days later you have this gunman with the ar-15 style rifle worth noting he
0: purchased the rifle he purchased the ar-15 style rifle just a couple of days after the judge blocked Boulder from enforcing the ban. So, I mean, that's just more it literally blood would have
2: been prevented from having the gun that he then used to kill the individual.
0: Yeah, it's a very clear reason why gun control is so important. Just common sense gun control. No Democrat wants to take your guns away. But there are common sense steps that we should be taking as a country. I mean, there's that famous Onion article that goes around every time this shooting happens. How could this happen here, says the only nation where this regularly happens. It's it's the headline of something like that. And they just change the picture to represent the new city every time it happens. It's devastating. I mean, I think if you... All you got to do is look at Australia. Um, Australia had a mass shooting sometime around 1996. They put on very strict gun buyback laws and gun control laws. They have not really had mass shootings at that level at all since. They maybe had one where three people were killed a few years ago. Aside from that, they've had really, their gun violence has went down to basically zero. Their suicides rate has went down to basically zero. And if you look at Australia on COVID as well, I mean, this is what we should be doing by the way we should be looking at other countries all the time and say hey why why do you guys seem to have a hold on this policy why do you guys seem to have a hold on covid why do you guys seem to have great transportation why do you guys have great infrastructure all these things let's crowdsource it we have all the information in the world from all these countries and if you look at australia you see that they took like they took with gun control they took common sense steps with covid and they squashed the virus very early on and if you go there now if you went there months ago people are Really return to normal life. They have the freedom that so-called conservatives claim to want, but they were not willing to shut down for a couple of weeks to get that long-term benefit. And I think we just need to be looking towards these other countries, towards these other areas, and pick what works. And in this instance, you know, gun control would have literally saved lives. This is a totally avoidable tragedy. And this obviously comes less than a week after eight people were killed in a shooting spree at three Atlanta area spas. I mean, guys, this is happening too much. Already in 2021, there have been more mass shootings than there have been days. We cannot sustain this. This is its own pandemic that is rearing its head now that we are getting back to quote unquote, normal life ever so slightly. And it's just a tragedy that this is the America that we're living in. And we don't have to live like this. We really don't. We could take action. And that's why it was such an honor to donate that $10,000 to Moms Demand and to Orange Ribbons for Jamie, because groups like that are just doing such incredible work on these issues. And it's, it's so important.
2: Here's the thing. At the end of the day, I think um, people should have the right to bear arms. I, I believe in the Second Amendment. I do. I think that, uh, I think that most, uh, most Democrats believe that you, know, you can own a gun, you can own guns to go hunting. I think you can own a handgun. Um, it, it, it gets very bizarre, though, when people are arguing that they should open carry military assault rifles near schools okay, that's just not, that's not normal. That's or in, not something, in school. It's not normal. That's not something that you should want to do or that you should want to happen, you know, that you should want to happen near you. There is a lot of mental health issues. I mean, we see, you know, all the, you know, all this craziness, even just within the GQP. And you combine that with assault rifles, Um, you know, the QAnon with assault rifles. And, and it's a... You know and, and and a lot of people with mental health. This, regardless of any political ideology or affiliation, you know, you know, gun violence is a significant problem. And uh, putting an assault rifle in the hands of somebody who's unfit to own it, it just it, it would almost be like there's someone who's arguing that uh, you should have the right to speed at 150 miles per hour and just zigzag through the lanes and go in opposite directions that that's something that we should do because you should have the freedom of ingress and egress and that you should therefore be able to just, you know, just do whatever the, whatever the hell you want to do. I mean, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, you can have interstate commerce, but that doesn't mean that you can drive like a freaking maniac, you know, or improperly there, there can be, and should be basic rules and, and, and regulations around it. So I mean, look, the Democrats are going to obviously put forward a gun, you know, a a bill for gun safety. They always do. Um, The votes aren't there, which is why going back to the filibuster that we spoke about earlier, filibuster needs to be amended. Uh, Gun reform is supported by, you know, massive amounts of Americans, you know, upwards of 65, 70 percent, even more, um, depending on the polls that you look at, support common sense gun reform. And it's just so strange to me, again, when people when people when people are against that. And then finally today, again, voter suppression. Um, It's a major, major, major problem, guys. And we see in states like Georgia, uh, the response has been to retaliate. Here's the crazy thing about Georgia. It's that all these people who, you know, we've
0: praised for adhering to the fundamental, just the fundamental idea of democracy, a lot of these people you have to remember are still very much Republicans. So you have a guy like Brian Kemp, who we praised for not kowtowing to Donald Trump's demands to overturn the election. However, Brian Kemp is an advocate of this voter suppression. He wasn't an advocate of overthrowing democracy through Trump's means, but he is okay to try to overthrow democracy by instituting all of these laws that restrict the right to vote. And so on Thursday, George's house passed a 95-page Republican-led voter suppression bill, of course, Republican-led, allowing the GOP takeover of state and county election boards, unlimited challenges to voter eligibility, restricting drop boxes, and making it a crime to give voters food and water in lines. Like, what ghouls do you have to be to do that? And of course, they exacerbate this problem by making it so that these people are waiting in really long lines. And so when we're giving voters, when volunteers are giving voters food and water, it's because the lines are so long that they need it to sustain themselves because of the voter suppression efforts by the GOP. It's really disgusting all in all. And I just wanna explain the way it works for people who may not know is each state is sort of like its own country in a way. Think of it and them as their own sort of countries. So this is the about it as
2: federalism.
0: So Georgia has its own state house. They have their own state senate. Then they have their governor. They have their own state constitution. And so when this passes the house, it then will go to the Georgia state senate. It will then have to be either they will change it or they will pass it. The changes will then go back to the House, just like it would in the United States Senate. And then it goes to the governor, in this case, Governor Brian Kemp's desk, for a signature or for a veto. So we will see what happens. We will be following this bill. But what it's looking like right now is that they're going to ram this thing through. It already passed the House. They're going to ram it through the Senate, and Kemp's going to sign it. And we're going to have a lot of work to do to defeat voter
3: suppression in the year ahead. It's really scary. And and it's just wild to me on a personal level that that it's really just up to the state at the end of the day in 2021 that they just lost and Georgia turned blue and they decided, nah never again. I'm a deep red state. This is never happening here. How can we rig the game? We're just going to change the rules so and that's why
0: the for the people act is so important to get behind and pass because what that does is it says no states you can't do that you can't do these voter suppression measures and that's why republicans are terrified of it because for all their claims of voter suppression for all their claims of it's a rigged system they're the ones doing the rigging and once they're not allowed to do that they are screwed they will never win another election again if they cannot Cheat. So that's why we need to push for the For the People Act. We need to expand voting rights. And let me be clear, if you are not in support of voting rights, you are not in support of democracy. Simple as that.
2: No doubt about it. And I just want to thank everybody as we conclude this episode of the Midas Touch podcast for joining us on this incredible journey. You know, when we started Midas Touch uh, it was out of frustration and anger at the political system and that the media was broken, our political system was broken, and we each had talents and we wanted to bring those talents to do something. We didn't know what. Started off as a blog, uh, became a political action committee in May. And ever since then, we've been aggressively building a structure, a movement that wouldn't be possible without your support. So as we, Brett, Ben, and Jordy celebrate this one year anniversary it's really a celebration of us all together. Um, Everyone's been a part of it from the outset. Every single campaign that we've run, uh, when we've, you know, fundraised for specific initiatives and items, you know, you've been there with us, you know, we've showed you what we were raising for, you've had the opportunity to evaluate those items, we then uh, would show the results of those items, and we would go on to the next campaign, we've ran so many different campaigns from mailing programs to tv ads to digital ads to facebook ads to text message campaigns to mobile billboards to activations to funding porta potties to canvassing
0: the very first thing i remember we said remember when are you better off which was our first like viral hit when that started going viral i remember saying man if we could get this to a point where we could Mm -hmm. even have one billboard, one billboard somewhere in the country that says, are you better off? I mean, how freaking cool would that be, guys? Like how if we got just one billboard, like, oh, my gosh. And now it's a year later. And like all the things you mentioned, like is it's crazy how much we were able to do with essentially so little really going after the biggest players out there, going after, you know, Donald Trump, the biggest mob boss out
2: there. I mean, here's the thing that's wild, Brett, when you really kind of break it down is that Like, I think there was $470 million that were spent on ads in Georgia. Jeez, Um, I think there are organizations that, you know, literally raised hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars, you know, for, you know, just for their overhead and for operations. I think our overall overhead from the last report I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's somewhere around like three hundred eighty-five thousand for everybody who's ever worked during that period at that period of time at Midas Touch, including all video productions. All of that is encompassed in that amount, and that amount of money, which is like a fraction. If you did the five hundred videos, I think alone, and multiplied them, just using the lowest number, seventy-five hundred dollars, that would be. Three and a half to four million dollars on videos, and we did, we did all of that and had everybody paid living wages within you know $385,000. I mean, that's and something healthcare. I'm super hey, and proud of. Everyone who's
0: working with us healthcare, um,
2: it's been really,
0: really cool and, and really freaking awesome that we've been able to do that. It's truly, I feel super proud of what we've accomplished here, and I am so thankful for this movement, the Midas Mighty that has come to our side and has really made this possible. I mean, unlike other organizations that survive on the donations of billionaires uh, coming in or that are run by billionaires, we're able to do a grassroots organization. It's really unheard of to do this sort of raising on a grassroots level, $5 at a time, $10 at a time, $3 at a time, $20 at a time, saying, hey, you know what? We're gonna run this TV ad in Georgia. Do you support it? Hey, we're gonna get canvassers out there in Georgia to knock on doors. Do you support us on this mission? And you guys stepped up every single time and helped us do this. And really, at the end of the day, everything that we needed to happen, happened. We won the presidency. We won Georgia. And I'm going to revise that. You won the presidency. You won Georgia because we could not do it without you at all. And thank you from the bottom of our hearts.
2: This is Ben, Brett and Jordy signing off from this episode of the Midas Touch podcast. Thank you for joining us in this fight. And we'll see you next week.
3: Shout out to the Midas Mighty!